Hello and welcome to A Couple of Your Files, where we discuss cultural realities and dissonance. And today, Francis is going to interview our favorite Irish couple from Northern Ireland, Carrie and Anthony McIntyre. They're great company, free thinkers, and they have a thing or two to say about the recent elections in Northern Ireland, where Sinn Féin has achieved a historic majority. We start out the conversation discussing Carrie's ink, and well, enjoy the accent as Carrie and Anthony offer insight into a place and state of mind called Northern Ireland. Anthony's the wolf, my daughter's the bear, my son's the seal, I'm the honey badger. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me, Carrie. <laughs> She's a fucking husband badger. <laughs> of course she is. <laughs> so thanks again for, for coming on. Momentous times, I believe, in uh, Northern Ireland. You know, this is, I'm not even sure what relevance the election has. It's not actually going to change anything in Westminster. But this is the first time that Sinn Féin has actually achieved a majority in Northern Ireland. And they're now begging everybody to be grown-ups and come to Stormont and stop sulking. Are they going to do that, Anthony, do you think? Well, I think the DUP have to realise, there's not much that they do realise, but I think they have to realise that, I mean, there's a democratic demand here in the North that they do return to Stormont. But I think what they will do is that they will play hardball around the Northern Ireland Protocol and hope to get the Brits to make concessions and then use that as a a, a reason uh, for going back in and trying to mask what has been a, a considerable failure for, for the DUP. I think you're right. It changes nothing in terms of Westminster. It changes nothing in terms of a border poll. It is what it has done. It, it it's more symbolic in many ways because Sinn Féin will not achieve much more as the majority party when it, uh, as it received when it was the minority party. And the reason for that is that the the, the Hunt system required cross community support for any initiative. So hugely symbolic, no doubt. And from the point of view of people like myself. Very welcome, because regardless of where we like or dislike Sinn Féin, I don't particularly like them at all. We have to, we, we can't be churlish and turn around and resent the fact that Northern Nationalists, for the first time in the history of the Northern state, have managed to get the hump of its back. I believe the Northern Ireland Protocol, which was hard fought and hard negotiated, and you know the EU feels that they went to bat for Ireland, and they made exceptions for Northern Ireland they wouldn't normally make for, you know, third party countries uh, in order to preserve the peace and keep the border open. At the moment, you know, anybody with a brain can look at this and say, hey, it's been pretty good for Northern Ireland. Uh, they have far fewer problems with their economy than uh, than the mainland Brits. And, and I mean, I think that's obvious to everybody. But the DUP are going to try and railroad the Northern Ireland Protocol and and return things to you know make everybody suffer so that uh, it looks like being part of the UK is a better deal than not. Do you think they'll succeed in that, or, or have people already smelt the coffee up there? The fact you know the proof of the puddings in the eating, and they had to eat humble pie uh, at the last at uh, the recent election there. That 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 wasn't the one in formula for them. I mean Jeffrey Donaldson was going around telling people that. All the doorstops he went to, the people were telling the how to complain to him about the Northern Ireland Protocol. He had all the surveys, all the television interviews, everything that we had access to indicated otherwise, indicated that there was little concern about Northern Ireland Protocols. 
So I, I think they're trying to use 1970s medicine to treat an ailment that develop that, 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 that needs something from the from 2022. It's like trying to create coronavirus, create treat coronavirus with something that was developed in 1970. I mean, it doesn't work. It hasn't worked here, and so I, I think that people have woke up and smell smelled the coffee. Champions vote, you know, overall, their their support, it seems, hasn't greatly increased. They've played the, the, the game well. They have an increase of first preference votes, probably at the expense of the, the uh, SDLP. The DUP have played a terrible game. But there's still this, you know, there's still, in terms of whatever limited power they have, they are still two powerful parties. And I mean, they need to dance, dance the storm and tango. They can't do anything else, uh, you know, and they need to be in step to some extent. We do, but I, you know, the, the, the DUP, my, my wife Carrie described it as a, a meteorite has hit the dinosaurs. And I mean, I think that's a good way to put it. They're not extinct, uh, but they, and unionism is not facing an existential threat. The union is not facing an existential threat. But there is change that makes them comfortable. Yeah, well, they just saw the, the meteor land. They have to change. Like, like Anthony said, this 1970s style politics, the people have moved way on from 1970. The parties and the system necessarily ha hasn't necessarily moved on. But if they don't realize that that meteor that they just watched has landed and they continue to pursue the 1970s politics, they are going to be quickly extinct. What this really is, too, is a wake-up call for the South, the Southern politics to really, they, they have to up their game now because the momentum that Sinn Féin has developed and will be developing as a result of the success of, of North means that if the Southern parties don't start really connecting and fostering tight relationships with their constituents and delivering on the issues and keep being competent government, their Sinn Féin will plow right through them. I was, yeah, I was curious, an outsider, when they started complaining about the border checks that were in place as a result of the border being placed in the IRC, and the supermarkets were saying, oh, we can't get, you know, sausages or something, and the shelves are empty. I was sitting there going like, so why don't you pick up the phone, call Dublin, and somebody with a truck will drive with no border, full of sausages, and have your supermarkets full in an hour, right? Because it's really not that far. You don't even have to take a ferry. You can just drive north. So it, it was curious that they couldn't find a way to order sausages or whatever else was missing. And I think everybody has now figured that out. And the cross-border trade figures show that the actual amount of stuff that Northern Ireland is buying from mainland Britain has dropped significantly, whereas they're now buying stuff directly from Southern Ireland and they don't have any shortages as far as I know. Th that, those are the, the facts. I mean, you know, <laughs> trade numbers don't generally lie. So how is it that the DUP are able to spin that as somehow negative? You know, you're doing better than the South. Uh, than because, because of the sectarian element because of the union and the connection to the union. Now, if the Brits were smart, they would read this and they would say, right, the best thing that we can do is do everything that we can to negate the effects of Brexit on the, the Northern Ireland and accept the fact that there needs to be the EU connection there. 
give it its special status, whatever, and then foster the ability for the non-sectarian parties to co govern competently. And if they can do that, then the union will be safe. But the problem is, is for the DUP, that destabilizes the union in their mind because they are not aligned with what's going on with the UK. In the 70s, as you alluded to earlier, in the 70s, Northern Ireland was making, the average person was making one and a half times as much money as the guys in Southern Ireland. And now that situation has been reversed. Southern Ireland's economy has gone a hell of a lot better. And, you know, now it's the North that's the, the relatively poor partner. Um, and that's going to have an impact on people's thinking, at least when you get past the sectarian thinking. But I mean, there's a limit to how much, I mean, I don't know, maybe there isn't, but <laughs> there's a limit to how much you would think that, you know, your religion or your, your, your party politics would, would interfere with the obvious facts of your own economic well-being. You know, you can watch those guys. You can see that they now are no longer the anti-abortionist, barefoot in the bogs, Southern Ireland that used to be there, that was caricaturized in the North. And they're a modern, forward-thinking country. And surely, you know, people would say, like, why don't we just sign up? It's better than having the clowns that just lie over, over the pond. What you just described as the, the anti-abortion-loving, bog-dwelling people are the DUP. So, <laughs> yeah, there you, go. you know... <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's it's curious, you know, and and a lot I of it's modern, and and the union, the Ulster unionists missed the, the boat. They 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 really they bottled it because they had an opportunity under their new leader Doug Beattie to really present themselves as contemporary unionism, modern, progressive, you know, mm. not the bog. Instead, I, I saw I saw a lot of um, votes went from the DUP to some even more radical party. I don't remember the name of it. But, DUP, uh, traditional unions. Are they really much worse? Or, or what's oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, they are. <laughs> they're the, they're you know, the, they are the real people in the bog, shooting, no abortion, no gay rights. They're I mean, the they're, dinosaurs that still exist at the bottom of the ocean. I mean, they're led by Slaver Barrister, but he's very much to the right. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I think he, he inflames Pisons in the way that, that Paisley used to do. But the problem is that I mean, unionism, if it wanted to hold the lane, effectively would need to be united under one party. Is this a wake-up call to them? One doesn't know. But their history for the past number of years has been fractious. And the symbolism of Michelle O'Neill is first minister. And Sinn Féin mate, I, I don't know, Sinn Féin mate decided to be generous and give the DUP some cover by agreeing to a rewriting of the Good Friday Agreement, which is going to have to be rewritten at some point to take into account the fact that the rise of the Alliance Party. I mean, you can't exclude them from the first deputy first and, and first minister. Now, they're not in touching as a touching sort of reach of that at the minute, but they, they they are really on the race. And at some point they will have to be accommodated. So rather than being a two-party state, they're really going to have a three-party state. You know, if you're going to have this sort of monetary coalition. And then Champion made ways in that context to consider uh, allowing having uh, two joint first ministers rather than a deputy first minister, which really, you know, it's symbolic, but, but it's hugely symbolic. And Sinn Féin have absolutely no reason to do that because it was never suggested in Sinn Féin 
we're playing second fiddle and we're deputy. I had the deputy first minister spot. But, I mean, uh, Sinn Féin aren't generous. The DUP aren't generous. I remember as, uh, Dennis Bradley, the former priest, good writer, good analyst, said to me once that one of the problems in the North is that now the two of them are generous. You know? They sort of see politics as zero sum game. And each knows this about the other. So when Sinn Féin talk about being a minister for all, I, I doubt that uh, the, certainly the unionists are, are, are not going to believe it, even though I don't think that Michelle O'Neill's any interest in shafting people from a current point of view. The former IRA people are, are an excuse. I was talking, uh, it's actually out for lunch or day or breakfast. Uh, the Free Presbyterian minister came down after he had voted for Jeffrey Donaldson. He came down to take me out for breakfast. We, we go out every now and then and we have a political chat. And he, he, uh, he was saying that the younger generation probably would walk past Jerry Adams, even if you're, you know, the younger unionist generation. I mean, if Jerry Adams would go to the Conswater Centre and have a cup of coffee. He thought the younger generation would walk past them, whereas the older, older generation wouldn't. I'm not so sure he's right, because when you look at the type of people that associate with Jimmy Bryson, they can be, you know, very virulent, very, very, very vociferous, very violent. Well, not very violent, but, you know, they, 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 they don't seem to distance themselves from the use of violence in the way that the other unionists uh, would. You know, you know, maybe if the that sort of person was to move off stage, the former IRA people, there may be uh, some softening of attitudes, although I don't think so. I still think that the constitutional issue can be very, very divisive. However, we are watching the rays of alliance and we don't know what that, how that will play out in the future. And it's an interesting thing that you raised earlier about the economics of it, because as I just listened to one of the neo-realists, uh, international schools, uh, international politics, and he was making, they were discussing why not the sanctions against Russia would work. And he was making the point that quite often people where they feel there's an existential threat will forego quite a lot in spite of their economic interests. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, it's true. Um, economics does go out the window when you're talking about existential threats. Well, we, and we um, had the Celtic Tiger, and that didn't move the needle whatsoever when Ireland. It, it, that's it. interesting, uh, Carrie. I mean, the the point here is that uh, when you look at the vote, right, you still have the hardcore unionists who will die before they see reunification and and you know union. And they left the DUP for the even more radical uh, people. And then you have, you know, Sinn Féin has its hardcore, which will vote for Sinn Féin regardless of what happens. And then you have some moderates who, you know, but not very many, who actually look at the thing and say, I'm going to vote for whoever I think is going to do a better job at bringing jobs, prosperity and, and peace to our people. But it doesn't seem like they're a majority, right? Well, this was <laughs> Politics the is still very, very polarized. This was the first election that you actually had a real, real potential and parties that actually could really deliver on that in that moderate space. All, all the way up to this point, all of those parties were fringe, very small and not a realistic prospect to deliver anything. But the way that things have turned at this point, that moderate pool the voters are a bigger part of that moderate pool, and that then created a more realistic prospect for these moderate parties. So when you look at their combined votes, you want to look at 
basically the Alliance, the SDLP, the UUP, and the People Before Profit. You want to kind of look at that as a, a pool of that moderate, even though they all kind of have different spectrums to them, and that's why they're separate parties, but together, they do represent that moderate block because all of those voters did not vote for the extremes. And so really, you can't look at it as a minority vote anymore. It's a growing block. Uh, we, we can hope. <laughs> We're all got our fingers crossed. You know, we, we really hope that, uh, that that's in fact gonna, gonna take place and, and that there'll be, you don't need to join necessarily Southern Ireland, um, but you do need to stop making it all about, you know, fighting each other. Part so, of why that moderate block has grown and become realistic at this point is because the generation that grew up in the peace process, they're now becoming middle-aged, they're becoming politicians aged, and they had the benefits of not being involved in the heat of the conflict and had the benefits of the promise of stable, normal government. And this is, again, why I say if the British were smart, which unfortunately they're, they're not right now, yeah, you're never going to see British and smart in the same sentence in this. Uh, in this no, especially not in the Irish context ever. But if they were, they would re recognize the fact that this is now the fruits of the peace process being born, right? This is that generation that grew up in the absence of conflict that don't identify as strongly because it's a necessary survival method orange or green, and they want the normal stuff. And this is why these part that moderate block exists and is voting and you can cultivate it does anybody does anybody in the north still believe that the westminster tories give a, a rats about what's going on in northern ireland the dup do well <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure they do i think they, I'm not sure they, do. they were they sold down the river by boris anyway right they know that and i think they also know that you know like they have to keep an eye on scotland and wales and I mean, as Nicola Sturgeon said, Wales is also now starting to come awake out of its slumber. And you have, you know, this growing nationalism. The North sort of, you can't call it a growing nationalism in terms of state nationalism. There's no Northern Ireland nation as such. But you do have the rise of constitutional nationalism. I don't think that what happens in Scotland or in Wales, uh, if anything happens in Wales, will alter the likelihood of a border poll coming about, but it will make the unionists more and more nervous. You know, we're living in a different world. We're living in a world where post-union, post-unity of the UK is now part of the discourse. And I think Scotland will certainly have its independence before the North manages to secede from the control of the UK. Do you really think so? Um, you know, Scot Scottish concerns are a major uh, interest to some of our listeners. Scotland has been talking about the independence uh, referendum too for quite some time. And yet you see Nicola Sturgeon essentially shying away from it because she's not sure she's going to win it. She did win. Like there isn't a single conservative councillor left in Scotland after this election. So the conservatives have gone really, really south. You know, they had uh, uh, Ruth who basically made them relatively strong, although they were never going to get a majority. But now there, there isn't a single one. And I think it's because the Scottish are punishing their Scottish Conservative Party for the support of Boris Johnson. You know, everybody, 
everybody thinks is uh, is only out for himself. That's happening in Scotland. It, it, I don't believe it would have affected Ireland or Northern Ireland in any significant way because the Conservatives don't even run in Northern Ireland. It's a completely well, different party. It, it's not that linkage. It's a different type of linkage. I think it's psychological. That what, what happens in Scotland is not going to have any causal effect on what happens in the north. But it creates a certain attitude, and that attitude leads into uncertainty. I uh, remember Stephen King, the unionist politician, once saying that the Good Friday Agreement was the first time in, since the history of Northern Ireland state that the unionists felt that they could rest in something pretty stable uh, and that the union was safe. The union's still safe, but it's much more ragged at the edges than it used to be. I mean, it's core tenants that, that, that sustains it in place, the consent principle hasn't been altered by this election. I, I, I do think that, I mean, I wonder had the, you know, was that election to take place today rather than when it did take place, the referendum? In Scotland, would the outcome have been different? I mean, I do see, I'm not just sure it's all down to punishing the Tories. I still expect there to be a substantial opposition within Scotland, but I'm no longer convinced it would be a majority. I, I think things are changing there. Mm-hmm. I mean, opposition to independence. Right? I mean, the opposition to independence uh, won the last time around. I no longer believe that it can be so confident to think it could do so again. And it's largely as a result of Boris Johnson and Brexit. Well, and Nikki Sturgeon has actually managed things like the pandemic pretty well, too. I mean, as a leader, everyone's got faults, but she's probably the most competent politician in the British Isles. Well, the, the competition isn't too strong. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> Look, I mean, it, it's you, you couldn't make it up. If, if anyone had told you the kind of scandals that are surrounding people like Rishi Sunak and, and what's her name, like, oh, we're going to ship asylum seekers to Rwanda. I mean, <laughs> pretty, pretty Patel. Look, she also said that at one time it was about to get starved, the Irish, and the submission of the get two uppity over uh, Brexit. Yeah, forgetting the inconvenient fact that Ireland exports more food per capita than any other nation in the world. And and Um, the fact that they tried that. Yeah, if somebody's going to starve, it isn't going to be the Irish. (laughs) Oh, it's imperial hubris. Yeah, the British thinking they could starve the Irish in this, you know, day and 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 thinking of Ireland as as a colony still, like not recognizing that. No, it is a colony. I mean, you know, that that that's actually an important point. I mean. I, the mainlanders, you know, Scotland is part of the United Kingdom in a way that Northern I, I don't, I know that the DUP thinks that they are more British than Irish, but I don't think anybody else thinks that, right? Everybody else thinks that the Northern Irish are more Irish than English. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of strange, but they've always been able to push their minority point of world minority point of view forward and say, oh, no, we're absolutely as English as everybody. But do you think the colonial mindset still exists? Do you know, I think it does at individual levels. I don't, I'm not so longer sure it does at state level. I think, uh, I think they want rid of it. They would be happy to get rid of the place. Yeah, but at British, at the pretty Patel level, they, yeah. they tend to think of I- Southern Ireland as... They, they don't see it as its mm. own country. They still have the colonial, like literally, they they have treated Ireland as if it's still part of the UK. They don't recognize that it's not. I think what happens there is that I, I, I have a tendency to feel that all big states 
hand the dots, think of their smaller neighbors in those terms, you know, not even shape of Russia and the in-between states that, 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 that which, surround Russia. Which is also an imperialist mm. mindset. I'm just, I'm just wondering how much, it's actually a colonial mindset as having a colony for a purpose and wanting it to serve some purpose. It seems to me that the British are quite happy to get rid of the place. I remember yeah, one time when uh, Jim Callaghan was getting, drove around by a British Army Jeep and he had seen uh, writing on a wall, Jim Callaghan before he became British Prime Minister, he'd seen slogan on a wall, Brits out, and he said, yes, but how, how? <laughs> But see, it's it's that duality that they have that that arrogance that imperial mm -hmm. arrogance has. They do want to get rid of the north, but when it comes to when the republic, when the, when the south is a sovereign nation and doing its own thing, they're they forget. They're like they still perceive as Ireland, Southern Ireland, as theirs. And why are they uppity? You know, we'll just starve them. We'll just do that. Their attitude towards the Irish government during the Brexit negotiations has either been to completely forget about them or to be like... Well, the, British, the British have always, and I exclude Northern Ireland from this, but the, the British have always played a divide them abroad and unite them at home game, right? They, that's what they did in Europe for centuries, right? They would ally with the French against the Germans. They would ally with the Germans against the French. They would basically pick the second power and ally against the strongest power to make sure that Europe was always divided, right? So that Britain could pursue its own interests. And it did the same in India and Pakistan, for example. You know, Pakistan didn't even exist until the British decided to make it a religious deal like they did in Northern Ireland. And, you know, they, they've been playing that game for centuries, right? And now they really don't have the strength to push it through anymore. And maybe they're, they're, they're kind of surprised that the old tactics no longer work in a global world where we have global supply chains and everybody's connected on the internet, right? You know, when you don't know someone or you've never met, a, let's say, a Southern Irishman in your life, you can believe whatever the government's telling you about them. But nowadays, everybody knows that you can just go straight to the source. And what people are finding out is that the government spent a lot of time lying to people. Did you see the BBC report about the election results where the BBC presenter was literally had said this is such a remarkable election because Northern Ireland was designed not to have this result. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And, and the same in Scotland, right? Scotland, yeah. uh, you know, we had a podcast about this. Scotland was designed never to allow uh, the SNMP to actually get a majority. Yeah. Because it was designed uh, with coalitions in mind, right? You had, that's why they accepted proportional representation and uh, they, they made it so that no one party could ever get the full majority because they didn't want uh, that to happen. And uh, it happened anyway. Frankly, Westminster would really benefit from a, a, a proportional representation reform. They would also benefit from having a constitution, but let's leave that by and by. Um, so, you know, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, this is very insightful. Northern Ireland has always been a, a place which is difficult for outsiders to understand. But I think, I think you've given us some insight into some of the results and underlying currents that have led to this, uh, this result of the election. Sinn Féin has always been the boogeyman for the Northern Unionists. I don't know what they're going to do with it. You know, are they going to do civil disobedience or, or not? Uh, maybe they'll go to storm it. Maybe they won't. 
But I think the DUP is more or less done because they've made so many bad bets. Uh, they bet on Brexit and it was disastrous for them. They bet on the Tories that was disastrous for them. And, you know, at the end of the day, you need to get punished for making disastrous bets. You know, hopefully they'll uh, they'll actually get, get there. I'm not sure within insular communities and, and sort of well, there's like a, for the want of a better word, an ethnic divide, but that, that necessarily leads to people being punished. I think quite often that loyalty rather than ability is Hummer and the DUP have proved loyal to the notion of a crown, but have absolutely no ability to do anything to keep it in place. I mean, they're, 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 even if we go back, I think the DUP's problems started under Arlene Foster. I mean, the serious problems. These problems result from their handling of the RHA scheme, uh, the heat, the, the heat initiative, where they were found out to be both incompetent and corrupt. But look, unionism still has a chance to prolong the death of unionism without making it an agony if it manages to unite. I can't see a DUP been displaced. Uh, I can't see them been displaced by TUV. They didn't do as bad uh, as many people had anticipated, even though it's a major uh, slap up the face of them. So I think it'll be same ship going in the same direction, different captain. Let's hope for the best. Um, there's a lot of bad juju coming our way with the inflation, with with the impact of the economic impact of the war in Ukraine, and hopefully Ireland. I mean, the the Brits were pretty successfully able to use COVID as a distraction from the economic impact of Brexit, and now they'll probably say, "Oh, look, all this horrible inflation and stuff, and food shortages and everything else is because." of the Ukraine and has nothing to do with Brexit. You know, they're going to keep lying and we'll see eventually uh, either the coffee will be smelt or it won't, but it's got to be smelt sooner or later because it's inevitable. You what's can't fool all the people all the time. What's the politician's gravestone read? Here he is lying still. Here he is lying still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank God. <laughs> nothing changes. <laughs> Thank you, guys. We're running out of time, but uh, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, we really appreciate this, and always uh, a pleasure. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun time. Fun times are always had by all, and we'll see uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Okay, thank you guys. thanks very much. Oh, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Carrie and Anthony McIntyre. What a great interview! So please, uh, hey, check out my website at baileyalexander.com, where I have lots of little films and little essays a daily bailey to cover stuff and lots of lovely photos of Europe. I'll keep you all posted about my next book called Once Upon a Time in Lowed Solo, where the reader enters a galaxy of talent in a place called Piemonte in northern Italy, the secret that needs to be told. So that's all from Lake Garda, where the weather's mighty fine. Ciao, ciao, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, and arrivederci.